your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, James Fox, alongside us. We're releasing a day late this week because the Chicago White Sox completed the 20-round Major League Baseball Amateur Draft of 2023, and nobody better here to break it down than James Fox and myself. I got to give myself some credit, too. Come on now. But James has been working really hard at FutureSox.com alongside our comrades, Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis, Sox Machine. We have all the information on the website, SoxMachine.com, and become a patron. If, if you know if you appreciate the content, it gives us a little, hey, how are you, to continue what we're doing. So thank you for the support, and thanks for tuning into the live stream. If you want to go back and listen to the reaction show that we had, it was a two-hour-long live stream that we, we decided to take over uh, the Sox Machine side of things. And we had some guests. We talked about all the picks across the first round, leading to the White Sox at 15. The White Sox did take Jacob Gonzalez. Shortstop out of Ole Miss, left-handed bat, right-handed thrower. He's 21 years old. He won a national championship with uh, Ole Miss as a sophomore and in his junior year uh, left the program and was signed, well, will sign with the Chicago White Sox, we confidently assume. James, welcome into the show. I want to bring you in because um, you were a part of Mike Shirley's conference calls, and uh, I also listened into the conversation, so I did hear what Shirley had to say. You asked some questions. I, I want to start with this. There are some common themes that we picked out trying to understand where he's coming from in a lot of different ways, and since he's taken over in 2020 officially as the amateur scouting director of the Chicago White Sox, we were trying to figure him out, and I think this year was uh, was pretty telling. I think we, we don't have to wrap a bow on the entire philosophy that is Mike Shirley, but it really was uh, something to behold when we listen in following all 20 picks. Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, we've seen Midwest guys, like he, you know, I think in the pre-draft press conferences, he talked a lot about prep players, and obviously, like, they only took one, but they only took one last year too. And I think it's just, you know, it's kind of a symptom of being a large market team. Like if you don't take the prep player in the first round, like a lot of times it's like tough to take that guy, like unless you have extra draft picks. I think if you like went through the draft and looked at all like the teams that took multiple prep guys, it's usually teams that have compensation picks because you just have more money to play with. So, you know, it's just like something that's difficult to do. But I mean, like, you know, they, they like college pitching. There's trends on that side, too. They, they haven't been afraid to take injured pitchers, which, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get to. And, you know, we've kind of talked about premium upside with Mike Shirley. So, you know, that's not necessarily what their first round pick was, right? Which is why I think, like, when we were doing the live show, I think a lot of people were a little bit surprised and like after digging into Jacob Gonzalez, like I, I think it makes a lot more sense. I, you know, I think you and I were both on board, you know, whatever Sunday night anyways, but I, I think they, they did a, a pretty good job. Like just the totality of the draft, which like, I'm always a little bit guarded judging like the first couple of picks. Cause like, I, I've really always kind of said that I need to see all 20 because it really is about, you know, the amount of talent you can get in the totality of your bonus pool. And, you know, I think 
it, you could question some of the strategy, right? But like, at least like, I always want to be able to understand what they were trying to achieve. And I think I do. So, you know, what, what are some of the other things you think that they've, you know, this is four drafts now. He has done every, every demographic. I know we kind of joked about that pre-draft too. Like, is he going to do the college hitter this time? Cause it's the one thing he hasn't done and now he's done it. So now they're a total wild card for next year and years going forward, I guess. Yeah. To your point about the 20 round draft, you know, we're looking for all the signings and the numbers when it comes in and how it relates to their total pool. And that'll make a lot more sense to us in terms of their strategy and where they were making certain picks and the decisions that they made investing in guys like George Wolkow, which we'll get to a very intriguing young bat. But to your point, James, uh, we were, or to your question, I should say uh, something else that really stood out to me when listening to Mike Shirley pre-draft and then following nights one, two, and three is the consistency in which he referenced makeup and character and the value there is in being baseball smart. And what I mean, baseball smart for a hitter, understanding the strike zone, how to adjust, how to overcome failure, understanding why mechanical tweaks are necessary in order to advance your game. I think that's very important. And I think Mike Shirley made that clear in his pick in Jacob Gonzalez when he was referencing the skill set itself, a very mature player, one who saw and participated in success, like we talked about national championship at Ole Miss during his sophomore season. Uh, and it just reminds me of Colson Montgomery. Colson Montgomery, when he was drafted, Mike Shirley referenced the fact that he was very even keeled uh, and he wasn't overcome in the moment. And players like that are always on the White Sox radar when it's run by Mike Shirley at the head of the draft. So he credited a lot of his scouts. They're all over the place. We'll get a little bit more in depth there. When it comes to pitching, James, you talked about it, not afraid to take uh, injured pitchers, Peyton Paulette last year, Tanner McDougal in the past as well. Uh, Grant Taylor is the latest example of a player who had Tommy John surgery and uh, is now projected to be a future starter within the White Sox system. So we want to break down the names that are intriguing to us. We're not going to get to all 20 because, like we said, we don't necessarily know uh, the, the slot value for each player. Once we do, I know we'll have coverage at SoxMachine.com. But those that stood out to us, of course, were those selected on days one and two specifically and a, a couple on day three that we'll mention. So let's try to go in order. Let's try not to ramble on too much because there's so much to get to related to the White Sox draft class. And let's begin with Jacob Gonzalez. You talked about the reaction on Sunday night. I think there were players left on the board that we were looking at, kind of surprised to see that they had fallen and believed that they may have higher upside than Jacob Gonzalez. But after listening to Mike Shirley, James, it seemed like he was the guy all along. And, you, you know, people scoff at the 40-grade run tool. To me, that doesn't mean that he's not athletic. I think you can get frustrated over that, but don't get hung up over it because I think Jacob Gonzalez is a very complete player. He's, he's as close to complete as you can get as a college prospect and a, a first-round draft prospect. Mike Shirley referenced the the stride in his swing as a left-handed hitter kind of reminds me of, of somebody who plays in Japan with the slight lean towards first base. That'll have to get fixed. And uh, that was the first thing that stood out to me in his swing, but high contact guy, very confident at the plate puts the ball in play and they project uh, 25 home run power potentially at his ceiling as a shortstop, a utility player, maybe, but right now it looks like they're going to develop him as a shortstop. Um, so those are my thoughts there, James. Let's kick it off with Jacob Gonzalez on your end. Well, yeah, so I think one of the reasons why 
like the 40 grade run times like aren't a huge concern for me is because like I think he's probably going to play third base like I know I said second the night of the draft like maybe that's possible too I feel like a lot of people think he's just going to move to third and like with Colson Montgomery already in the system who I think is going to be their future shortstop like I think it's fine I think it you know he's going to go out as a shortstop and he's going to try to prove that he can stay there and and that's fine. Like he's a shortstop that can hit. He has bat to ball skills, like some of the best bat to ball skills in the class, like while also producing power because of like pretty above average bat speed, I would say. So, you know, the one thing is the swing, like the swing is weird. Um, I know Joe Doyle, our buddy at future star series now has head Gonzalez ranked as the 12th player in the class. Um, but he, you know, he kind of, talks about it and mentions where his hips and shoulders will disconnect in his stride. But he also says that plenty of scouts like have seen enough to trust basically what he's accomplished already in the sec. Like he's been, you know, pretty stellar to the point where, you know, in the preseason, Jacob Gonzalez was seen in that top group of guys. He was supposed to be like a top seven ish, like lock, even as late as Sunday, you know, there were people that thought he was going five to the twins. Like I, I put him five to the twins in my mock draft, mostly because of their model, not that he was the fifth best player in the class, but I mean, that's the type of guy this is. And then, you know, after hearing Mike Shirley talk about it, like he was asked on a conference call, like, you know, out of all of his draft picks, like w- which guy were they surprised fell to them? He said, Jacob Gonzalez. So, you know, if we're going to take him at his word, he didn't anticipate Jacob Gonzalez being on the board at 15, you know, is well-documented, I guess now the, the meeting that they had at the the combine where they were kind of talking about his swing and things along those lines. And they just think this is a, you know, this is a grinder that actually has skills. So I, I think they're pretty excited about it. I think he comes right in and he's like on a similar trajectory to like some of your top prospects, which we can talk about a little bit more if you want. And I, you know, I think it, I think it's fine. I think picking 15, getting a guy like this is a, is a pretty good outcome. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see if he gets out to Kannapolis and how he performs like in his uh, draft year, which, you know, we always kind of say like it it's not super important. Right. I usually ignore stats from the draft year, just especially for college guys that have played a whole season. But, you know, it'll still be interesting to see him pretty soon. Yeah, I'm interested to see how many games he does get under his belt in total, maybe close to 100 games if he's sent to Kannapolis quickly. I figure maybe a taste of the Arizona League, but um this is a player who's advanced. And when you hear Mike Shirley talk about, like you referenced, James, the White Sox are available for about 30 minutes to meet with players. And they took that opportunity to break down Jacob Gonzalez's swing mechanics. And they were really impressed with the maturity and understanding and the way he he took in the information that was presented by the White Sox. So I think that's something to note. And it's important. I can't stress this enough that Mike Shirley really values makeup. And that's what you see in Jacob Gonzalez. It's also... Important to mention that this is uh, among three, if I'm not missing any, Ole Miss players that they had drafted this year and last year. Calvin Harris is a catcher out of the University of Mississippi. Uh, and last season, Tim Elko was a product of the championship team that um, uh, two years ago won the national t- uh, championship. So there's success. Um, and I think they really do take into account SEC is a competitive conference and in the face of you know the highest level of the sport they stepped up and they produced so that's just a quick note um james anything else before we move on to grant taylor i'd love for you to kick off the grant taylor conversation too but please fill in whatever you need well so i guess just like concerns with 
not necessarily the hit tool, right? But this is a guy like you can see where he like steps in the bucket, right? And I think that gets concerning for some. I think all of his power comes from the pull side, which some people criticize, but I heard Josh and Jim talking about this. Like that's good for the White Sox because the White Sox have too many players that don't pull the baseball in the air, right? Like they, they've always had this like up the middle opposite field approach right? that I think like a lot of scouts and other teams and fans of other teams would like envy, but it like hasn't worked for the White Sox. Like they haven't hit like home runs to the opposite field. We're always like pull the baseball in the air. Hmm. And this guy actually does that. So I am curious to see like how different the swing looks like. Do you take a guy this renowned and then change everything about him? I doubt it, right? But I'm sure there's like some tweaks um, that we'll see coming. I would, yeah. I would imagine. And to that point, quickly, James, that's the one thing that stood out to me. Like we were watching Jacob Gonzalez's swing uh, on video, and you talked about stepping in the bucket. It's he's falling towards first base, and you talk about power in your pull side. You absolutely can gather power from your pull side when you're when you're leaning that way now if they clean that up i think it's a quick fix it's an easy fix you just have to make an adjustment there all of a sudden the power can go to all fields if things are clicking like in line with his shoulders and his hips like you referenced earlier some of the concerns if everything is in line and you're not pulling off pitches off the plate because of the natural swing tendency in your stride then all of a sudden jacob gonzalez can showcase the hitting ability that hopefully we we think is going to be great right to all fields so that's a great point uh grant taylor right-handed pitcher this is interesting he's 6-3 not a lot of information on him other than the fact that he stepped up big time in the cape in 2022 and was set to kind of mirror paul Skeens at the top of the rotation they were going back and forth in the fall prior to grant taylor's tommy john surgery but he got surgery. He missed all in February. He missed all the season. He will miss this year. And we anticipate him to debut next season uh, in Kannapolis. That's all we know so far. But it seems to me, James, that it's similar, kind of similar to the story of Peyton Paulette, where, you know, this is a first round right-handed pitcher, but the White Sox snagged him in the second. Yeah. seems like just a big horse though. 6'3", 230. So it was interesting, like Jim Callis and MLB Pipeline has him ranked 102. And obviously, like, you know, this was a guy that pitched out of the bullpen at LSU. He was great in the fall. He was awesome on the Cape. And just in a minute, like, I want to get to one of the other things that has been prevalent in Mike Shirley drafts. But I guess, like, before that, like, so Jim Callis was on local radio and was kind of, like, raving about this guy, which was interesting considering that they ranked him at 102, right? So we'll have Jim on pretty soon and we'll get his thoughts. But like another one of our friends that we've referenced a lot, Joe Doyle has him 59 in the class. And, you know, Joe had told me like, you know, he he was going to be in his top 25 most likely had he pitched this year. So, I mean, he's got a two-seamer, a cutter, a four-seamer too that he uses to keep hitters off balance. But I guess the curveball is just absolutely insane. That's his like swing and miss pitch. And look, there's some video going around like on Twitter. If you type in Grant Taylor, like, you know, you can find some pretty good stuff. I've retweeted some of it. Future Sox accounts retweeted some of it. So, you know, I, I think this was just a guy that was trending the right direction that was, you know, looked at as one of the better starters in college baseball or was going to be. And then he blew out in February and, you know, that brings me 
to kind of my other point, like I know you remember, like Mike Shirley talked pre-draft and he was asked a question about, I guess, like finding these diamonds in the rough at weird spots or whatever, right? And with Garrett Crochet, there were bullpens at Tennessee that Mike Shirley sat in on and, you know, Crochet only made three starts that year. And he thinks that the reason they got Crochet at 11 was because a lot of people didn't see him. And Colson Montgomery played in small town, Indiana, Um, And Noah Schultz, like the same things are like kind of documented with him, right? Like they were basically squatting on him here in Illinois. And had he pitched the whole year, there's no way he falls to 26. I think this Grant Taylor thing is a little bit similar. Now it's the second round. I'm sure somebody else would have had the same idea at some point, right? But I guess like my point is like the White Sox are not afraid to like steal value here basically. And they're not afraid to wait for it. So Grant Taylor's obviously not going to pitch this season, but if they think this guy is like a number two starter, potentially, you know, it's absolutely worth the gamble where they took him at pick 51 or whatever they took him at. So, you know, I, I just think it's another one of the things under this scouting group under Mike Shirley, where they're just not afraid to pluck under like people that they think are like undervalued essentially. I think that's a very good point to make. Grant Taylor is somebody who, in my opinion, uh, I think is realistically aiming for 80 pitch, 80 innings pitched next year, which is 2024. And then in 2025, if he maintains a steady season, he's on the right track to break the, the rotation. This is, you brought up Mike Shirley. I thought this was really interesting. Mike Shirley talked about the power arms and the, the frequency in which pitchers suffer from Tommy John surgery, right. Or suffer the injury that results in Tommy John surgery. And he made it a point to say that this happens in the modern era, especially the way that these players are being, you know, developed and working ahead of the draft as young pitchers, they're throwing really hard. And some of these guys, and if not the majority of the guys are ticketed for that major surgery. And luckily we've seen so many examples in the past that pitchers come back better than in previous years uh, with the advancement of technology and, and development and rehab, they overcome this injury at, at a very consistent rate overall. So I think that's also something to, to mention. James, we also should talk about Seth Keener, a Wake Forest University right-handed pitcher, 21 years old, 6'2". Now, let's, let's break it down here. They selected across the 20 rounds, five infielders. That's not counting George Wolcock. We'll get there two catchers, 10 pitchers, and three outfielders. Now, a lot of college arms being infused into the draft, and that includes Seth Keener. Yeah, so I like this. I kind of said, like, there, look, there were rumors the White Sox were after more prep pitching, and I said I would have gone the other way. Like, I'm fine with Jacob Gonzalez, but I think, like, I'm on record pre-draft saying I would have gone prep bat and then college pitching. I just, I like college pitching in the second, third, fourth round. I just think there's guys that that you can take and you can change a grip or change a pitch mix and, and find real starters. And I think this Seth Keener pick, I, I really like this one. It's a super athletic profile. You know, his stuff ticked up big time this year, like after, you know, the Cape, we hear about the Cape so often. Right. But he was really good there too. Um, You know, I think I've seen like fastball up to 95, but people think that it could be more than that. But some of the other traits like that Mike Shirley always talks about, it's elite extension, you know, deceptive qualities to, to some of the stuff here. You know, it's a, it's a four seamer um, and then a sweeping breaking ball, obviously. And then the, you know, the metrics that we're not privy to, right. But 
you know, it's supposed, it's supposedly big spin rates, you know, the elite extension, and then he's a, a super athlete. And then, you know, one of the things that I found interesting, Jim Callis, MLB pipeline wrote an article today that was 2023 draft prospects that are on the fast track to the big leagues, basically. And the guys that are in here, like Dylan Cruz, and you know, there are a couple high schoolers like Max Clark's in here too, which is kind of funny, but we talk about how high school players are closer than they've ever been. Right. Right. But one of the guys on here is Seth Keener. And he says the lone non-first rounder on this list, Keener ranked second in D1 with a whip of 0.87 and third in opponent average, 167, as part of an awesome like Wake Forest pitching staff, basically. He was more of a reliever in college, but he'll be developed as a starter, but he should move fast in an organization that lacks polished mound prospects, which he's, you know, not wrong about. Like I kind of see this as, you know, like he can move kind of like Jonathan Cannon, but I think this is better stuff personally. So We'll see. It's not a ton of innings because I think he did pitch in relief a lot. Like Wake Forest is really good, but yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is a starter with traits that you can dream on. So you know, I think this one um, is maybe one of their more like underrated picks. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seth Keener. Uh, was referenced by Mike Shirley as somebody who uh, really caught their eye because of the pathway that you know, he undertook in his uh, draft year at Wake Forest. He was in the bullpen, like James mentioned, but then all of a sudden the rotations, th- that Wake Forest rotation was stacked and there wasn't any room for Seth Keener until things kind of fell apart for that rotation and then he popped in and did really well. And then now you see that the White Sox are excited to develop him as a starting pitcher. So if you're looking at his numbers, you see that he predominantly was a reliever, but then later in the season took over as a starter. So that's really exciting to me because there's a little bit of a, a sample size there. And it's, it's fair to question whether or not Grant Taylor, the second round pick without a lot of experience as a starter and missing a full year um, can do it. So we'll just have to wait and see. He's just, He's going to be developed as a starting pitcher until further notice. So that's the safety in this, that we know he's not going to be somebody that the White Sox can count on in 2025, but that's the beauty of developing these types of prospects. The upside is there, and then you have time to develop them. And I think that goes to your point, James, before we get on to the rest of the class, is that the timelines are starting to intertwine a little bit, and that's nice to see. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, obviously, like, your top prospect, like Colson Montgomery, it could be pretty quick. It could be next year if he stays on the trajectory that he's on. You know, you have Cuban third baseman Brian Ramos is on the 40 man already. You know, there's not a really a spot at third, but 
yeah, like lots and lots of college pitching. That's all going to like kind of blend together here, which is, you know, kind of why I like college pitching, because if you add 10 of them, like you, you might end up with two starters out of the group, which is good. So, you know, Keener is 6'2", 195. He, I would imagine, Mike, he has the ability to like pitch like here pretty soon because it, it wasn't that many innings. It's not like he's, you know, Paul Skeens where right. he's like thrown like an entire season and he basically has to get shut down. So there should be, uh, we, we should see him, I would imagine. And to, just to the point, we should take a step back and reset where the White Sox were when Mike Shirley took over in 2020 essentially rebuilding the farm system, trying to add talent across the lower levels to develop, um, expect them to develop across a couple of seasons to the point where we are today. So as we see the development of their top prospects, still considered a bottom 10 farm system in the league. I understand that. But with the addition of 19 college players and a couple of JUCO guys and one high school player that are younger, of course, but um, 19 college players, players mixed in with a lot of prep picks from previous seasons who are already developing in their system. That's what I was kind of getting at when it comes to the timelines of the, of the farm system. It's nice to see now the, the combination of fresh older talent with previously drafted younger talent who are now moving across their professional careers at a, at a pretty steady pace. I would say, I think the, the prospects that we've been following in the top 30, a lot of the top 15 have taken strides and that's, I think shining a positive light on the development of uh, you know, within the infrastructure of the Chicago White Sox development staff. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think this is uh, just like another step in the right direction. Right. I know like after I kind of feel like after the Grant Taylor pick, like some of the tenor was negative, right? But I th- I think they really did a good job on on day two in mm-hmm. adding to like what's already in the system. And obviously we haven't, you know, taken these 20 names and stacked them up with who else is in the system. I think that's for later shows probably. But yeah, like I think they're, you know, th- there's a plan here, right? Like it's been a bottom five farm system, but there are definitely some bright spots. And, uh, you know, I kind of like what Mike Shirley and his staff have, have done. So Calvin Harris and Weston Eberly are the two catchers that were added to the farm system in this class. Calvin Harris, like we said, part of the national championship in Ole Miss. Uh, seems like, well, Joe, Joe Doyle referenced the strong arm. It seems like he's a bat first catcher, six foot, 215, 21 years old. So we'll see how that develops. And Christian Opper is the player that I really wanted to talk to you about, James. Uh, as an 18-year-old out of the junior college level, left-handed pitcher, 6'2", 175, but he's got a high waist, a long-legged, hard-throwing left-handed pitcher, raw stuff, but the fastball jumps out of his hand, and he's got a sharp breaker. So that's something that the White Sox identified and planned to build on. And again, at 18 years old, pitching one year at a junior college level, you can afford to allow this player to develop with such a high ceiling. And, and going in the fifth round, that's a risk I'm absolutely happy that the White Sox took. Yeah, so the Opor thing is, uh, is it Opor? I don't know, or Opper? I don't, we'll, fi- yeah, we'll, we'll find out for out. sure, and then we'll start saying his name correctly. But So this one's very interesting because I heard a lot about this guy last year. And you know, then Jim, Jim Callis said it on the broadcast, and Mike Shirley confirmed in his media um, sessions that you know the White Sox had an agreement um, with the Southpaw last year when he was the best prep pitcher out of the state of Wisconsin in the 11th round. 
And then for whatever reason, Oakland drafted him in the 11th round in front of the White Sox instead as a draft and follow. They did not sign him. So, you know, he pitched at, um, at Gulf Coast State uh, Junior College, and the White Sox took him this year in the fifth round. So, look, I'm expecting this bonus to be, like, right in the $500,000 range. So, I mean, they like this guy. I think a lot of people have projected him as, like, a future reliever. But, I mean, look, like, we don't know. It's, like, a six foot two, 175-pound lefty that'll be 19, like, in a couple of weeks. Like, I think it's... You know, it's it's definitely worth it here. We mentioned that they've only they only took one high school player. I consider this guy a high school player, mm-hmm. kind of, even though he's a JUCO guy. But you know, like so two two surely trends in here, right? Wisconsin kid, which is interesting, and then former like pretty high level basketball player in Wisconsin too. And look, like the White Sox have always loved multi-sport athletes obviously so you know the athleticism shows on the mound um you know and and i think like the fastball should play up as he moves through the system he'll go to rookie ball you know he could be a two-year rookie ball guy similar to you know wokaw once we get to him so yeah this this is uh this is an interesting one i think i think i was sitting kind of waiting you know with four four college guys off the board. I was waiting for like a swing like this and it happened in round five. And it was a guy that I really wasn't surprised that they took. I think he's one of the guys I highlighted in my draft preview just as somebody I heard that they had interest in. I just didn't know like what round it would be or how much money or anything along those lines. Let's get to George Wolkow. We teased it enough. Downers Grove North High School, 6'7", 240. He graduated early and was eligible for the draft, and he was getting set to make a decision to go to college because he was committed, I believe it was South Carolina, and then the White Sox called him on day two a little bit late. He was picked in the seventh round, uh, and it was a really good story. I forget, um, I, I'm blanking on the name of the author. I appreciate if you could help me out, James, on that one, but he wrote a story on Wolkow because he had a one-on-one with him, and Wolkow shared that he was ready to go fishing with his father, and you know that night, Maybe the day after following round, um, you know, day three of the draft, he was going to make a decision whether or not he was uh, set to go to college. Now, he's not signed yet, but the White Sox did pick him at seven, and it pretty much changed his entire thinking, saying that, yeah, his goal was to be a professional baseball player, and now the White Sox have this opportunity. Again, 6'7", 240, 17 years old. Shirley called him an outfielder, but they're prioritizing the bat right now. He's got so much pop. Yeah, so this is a very interesting one because he's 17. He's not going to be 18 until January, and he's going to go out and, you know, play in the Arizona Complex League. Yeah, Josh Welge, I believe, is the author. I, you know, I know the name, and I've seen him just because of, like, coaching high school football in the area. He's, like, a local writer. So, look, a lot of those guys get stories like this. So the, the, those guys are valuable this time of year because, they, you know, they've covered him in baseball, and you make one phone call, and – you know, the, the families are, are willing to chat. So while he's not signed, he's going to be, you know, it seems like something in the area of 1.2 million, just like from what I've heard and conjuring together kind of the amount of money they have. And that's definitely like a worthwhile gamble at this point. One of the youngest and most physical prospects like in this draft class reminds some scouts of Spencer Jones that the Yankees took last year. So, you know, he's 17 because he, uh, 
committed to uh, this year's draft class. So he was supposed to be like one of the top guys in next year's draft class. A couple other interesting things, like he performed well um, at the area code games, which we always hear about, and he played third base there. Shocker, I think his area codes coach was J.J. Lally, who's the White Sox Midwest area scout, who you know is credited for Noah Schultz, and he's the area scout for Wolkow, too. So, I mean, this is just strength, massive raw power. You know, the White Sox said they're going to run him out as an outfielder. We'll see. I think the the biggest thing right now is, like, there's a ton of swing and miss. The swing decisions aren't great. But, I mean, this is like a 17-year-old mm-hmm. kid with massive power. We don't know how big he's going to get, right? right? So I just think it's a worthwhile gamble at this point, I feel like, you know, and Shirley kind of touched on this, you know, I feel like a lot of people would say like, oh, you know, you should go to college or whatever. And some kids just want to start their career. And Schultz was similar. And, you know, he's going to enter the White Sox system and, you know, become one of the most interesting guys in it right away. Elite force production is what Mike Shirley said of Wolkow's swing. And if you just watch him, I think it was in Tampa, uh, he was taking batting practice, and just the ball flies off his bat. So if you can get some video, check it out and watch his swing. Watch the strength in this young man because that's what he is right now, super raw, young. And you can't stress it enough, uh, the value of having such a young player in your system. I remember talking to Carlos Colazzo, and he really did reference the fact that the White Sox need a power infusion in their farm. And like you said, James, this is an overslot player uh, out of high school there's obviously questions about how he'll develop but man the upside is so great that you just love to see the White Sox take swings on a player like this so there's George Wolkow and like we said we don't want to we're skipping names here because we can't talk about all 20 and to be quite honest with you we're not informed enough to describe (laughs) all 20. I I will say though we should circle back just for a second like Calvin Harris so he's like 133 on pipeline, I think Joe Doyle had him like in the 190s or whatever, but it's the same type of thing. Like, so he's like a better defender than he's given credit for, but he is like an offensive minded catcher. So Mississippi has had seven catchers drafted in the past decade. He was um, the backup for Hayden Dunhurst for like two years, and he he was drafted last year. Um, it's a it's a really good looking left-handed swing and lots of hard contact. The two things that I'll point out, Iowa kid, so another Midwest guy, right? Um, And look, you hear this probably from every front office and scouting staff. Like Mike Shirley said, there were area scouts that wanted him in the second round, which look, I mean, that type of stuff happens all the time. But I will say $600,000 in round four, they think this guy has a chance to be, you know, at least like a, platoon starter at catcher. He struggled with lefties, but I mean, you know, so they think this is at minimum a a pretty quick mover for a catcher who can play the position in the majors, whose bat will play at least against righties. So, you know, it's, it, you know, he's, he's definitely the best catcher in the system. I would imagine. I know like Adam Hackenberg's there too. So you know, maybe we'll see, but you know, if I we see Calvin Harris like at Winston Salem, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Yeah, as a twenty-one-year-old, and he was lauded for the way that it, just a good teammate again, uh, makeup chemistry and all that clubhouse culture. That's 
apparently present in Calvin Harris's game. Pitchers like to work with him. It just seems like he's got a good baseball mind. I'm just taking the word of uh, Mike Shirley, the amateur scouting director of the Chicago White Sox. Day three, let's move on. A handful of names that we want to talk about because it's unique to see a player like Riku Nishida enter the organization, a second baseman, 22 years old, 5'6", 150 pounds out of the University of Oregon. He's from Osaka, Japan. James, thoughts initially when you saw this player and the type of skill set that he offers to the professional scene? Well, so, I mean, I knew it was a guy that they liked because, like, 11th round picks are valuable. Like, we've kind of talked about this. Like, this is where teams usually, like, overslot somebody. We'll see how much it costs. Like, I don't know for sure that, you know, that that's necessarily, like, what what they did. So he's definitely interesting. I know that, like, on the... um the press conference, like Shirley said, that he's unique, lots of bat control, speed. He's a stolen base threat for sure. His game is visually appealing, Shirley said, which is pretty interesting. Like I think I tweeted earlier, like just after watching him a little bit, that the natives of North Carolina were going to love this guy because he's probably going to be in like Kannapolis or Winston pretty soon. You know, energetic, a lot of Cape success, which, you know, I think all these guys kind of have – but Mike Shirley referenced just how he goes up to to swing at Oregon and he goes into the batter's box with a, an aluminum bat and wood. And then he just like kind of makes a decision with what to use. So he he's like used wood bats in college baseball games, which like I, I, I didn't even know that you were like allowed to do. So I just like think this guy is super interesting. He's yeah, like five foot six. Right. So. Yeah, little little spark plug, but definitely real baseball skills. And, you know, he'll be in the, the low minors wreaking havoc, like in, you know, southern towns. So he, he's going to be, like, interesting to watch going forward. Yeah, Mike Shirley talked about Nishida and how they can't take their eyes off of him when they're watching Oregon play because he's just all over the place and doing so many different things at the plate, on the field. He's electric. And... That's a fun player to have in your farm system. It's like Tim Elko, in my opinion, where you know what you're going to get out of that skill set. Just a bunch of pop, right? Well, with Nishida, it's pretty much consistent energy that you're bringing on the baseball field defensively, as well as at the plate. You can do a lot of things. He's a slap hitter. He can bunt. Uh, he's got decent speed. That's just a fun player to have in your farm system. That is, it's good to highlight a player like him. Number 12 in round, I should say, in round 12, Matthias Lacombe. He's a right-handed pitcher from France. This is a John Kazanis signing, James, uh, the, the area scout, I should say. What uh, what do we know about this? Because Mike Shirley talked about the excitement in bringing on a guy like Nishida from Japan. But Lacombe in France is something that you know the White Sox haven't seen. Uh, and I don't think a, a French pitcher has been drafted. I, I could be wrong. This is definitely the first yeah. time that the White Sox have done it. Well, so Jonathan Mayo, like on the broadcast, they after round 15, they had Callis and Mayo come on and talk about interesting picks. And this is one of the guys that uh, Jonathan Mayo talked about. I know somebody at MLB.com, I don't know the writer's name, but th there is like a feature being written on Lacombe because he's, I guess, very confident. So it's actually a kid that I wouldn't mind talking to. His goal is to be the first French-born player to play in the major leagues, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I guess he's 93 to 95, Shirley said, with a real breaking ball. The, the White Sox feel like there's some mechanical tweaks that, that they could easily, you know, or confidently, I guess, 
put into motion here for him. There's lots of pitch design characteristics that I don't have specifically, but you know, it's kind of what Shirley said. And yeah, I mean, it's, he's a John Kazanis guy. Who's a longtime scout, um, you know, out in, out in the West, out in the West coast, basically in Arizona. Um, so, you know, John Kazanis found Mark Burley, Tanner Banks is one of his guys, Sean Murphy last year. He's, he's had a pretty good season, this year, Gil Luna a couple of years back. So, you know, Mike Shirley said that this this is a guy that, that John Kazanis really wanted. So, you know, I do think outside of, you know, the top guys that we kind of talked about, this is one of the more interesting guys that they drafted. And then somebody that we don't have a ton of information on, Anthony Imhoff. It's another left-handed pitcher out of Pima Community College. Um, another Kazanis lefty. So, you know, if, if he's better than an 18th rounder, uh, nobody should be surprised just because I like the track record with this particular area scout. Well, related to that player, I'm off left-handed, 21 years old, 6'8", 190. So take that at what you will. You don't have to look at any other, um, well, you can create your own opinion on the player without having any other information, just hearing 6'8", 190, really tall and lanky. James, uh, like we said, we're not going to go through all 20. Are there any other names that you want to highlight before we wrap up this show? Well, so day three, look, like Mike Shirley, after the second round, kind of talked about how they had money left in their bonus pool and they had some targets. And so, like, I, I was, you know, to be as honest as possible, I was expecting a little bit more on day three. Now, it sounds like Riku Nishida was, was a priority for a lot of teams on day three. So, Look, the the bonus pool rules changed. Um, you can pay players one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on day three without accounting against your bonus pool. If Nishida's a little bit over, I guess it wouldn't be terribly surprising. Same thing with Matthias Lacombe, who we kind of just talked about. Um, so just you know, I guess rapid fire. Ryan Galani, third baseman out of Wofford, um, he he had entered the transfer portal. He was he was going to go to Tennessee next year. It's big power um, out of third base. He will not be going to Tennessee. He'll sign with the White Sox. And then, yeah, just like some other names of players that we didn't really know very much. Edric Felix, shortstop out of Florida Gulf Coast University. I think he has their home run record um, this past year. Carlton Perkins is a right-handed pitcher from Collie County Community College in Kansas. I'm just always generally interested in um, in JUCO pitchers, mm -hmm. you know, because – like they're, they're all committed somewhere, but they basically like decide to sign and go professional essentially. So, and then, you know, they just more college guys to round it out. Mikey Kane of Oregon state, Caden Connor, Cal state Fullerton, Garrett Wright of TCU. So, you know, I will say those guys on day three are likely similar to a couple of the, the guys that we didn't really talk about. Like Lucas Gordon, is a left-handed pitcher from Texas. He went in round six. It's a definite money saver. He's like 88 to 90 left-handed starter. So, you know, that's the type of guy who will be starting in Kannapolis, you know, but without great stuff, right? But he was in Texas Longhorns rotation for the past couple of years. Maybe like a poor man's like Tyler Schweitzer. The stuff's not quite as good, but he knows how to pitch. Um, Eddie Park is an outfielder from Stanford, went in round eight. You know, he's had, he had some fans and people kind of thought like he was in like a top 500 player basically in the class. He, he's gotten some comps to the Oregon state guy on the guardians Quan. Mm -hmm. So Eddie Parks kind of gotten some comps to him, which is 
interesting, right? But so it's another left-handed hitter. I will say for a while there, the White Sox in this draft had only targeted left-handed pitchers. You know, I didn't get a chance to talk to Mike Shirley on day three, like I did the first two days. I was going to ask about like if it was, you know, like a concerted effort to add lefties to the system or if it just like kind of played out that way. Because, I mean, you're looking at Gonzalez, Calvin Harris, George Wolkow, Eddie Park, all left-handed hitters. Same thing with Riku Nishida. Mm-hmm. And then they finally got to round 13 and took a right-handed hitter. So, you know, it wasn't all lefties, but I, it did seem like it was like trending that way for a while. That is a good point. Mike Shirley did state that uh, he did look at left-handed bats as something of interest. And one quick note, those who uh, may have questions about the draft, status and, and just entering the draft in general, it's it's kind of a fun process. Uh, you can enter the draft. You're, you're eligible to draft after high school. It's your decision. But if you go to a junior college, you don't have to go there for three years like you do at a major university, a division one, division two university. You can go one year. That's why James mentioned the JUCO stuff. Uh, I'm also intrigued with the junior college players because those who typically get drafted out of junior college already have that plans set in their head that they want to get into a professional organization as quickly as possible. And if they're good enough to be selected in 20 rounds, then that's intriguing to me. Um, And like I said, as a university player, you have to go to that college for three years before getting drafted. Um, So that's just kind of insight on the rules. James, thanks for all your hard work. Really good stuff overall. Uh, This was fun. I mean, we worked really hard leading up to it. Now the the post-draft process is, like you said, we're going to talk to Jim Callis and several other experts. We're also going to break down the trade deadline because that's coming up ahead of August 1st. And this White Sox team is going to, we anticipate, go through major changes. And you don't want to go anywhere else to get insight on the White Sox farm system and the prospects that we anticipate to see in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have a lot to do here pretty soon. And and like some of it won't all be pleasant, right? Just because like we don't do a ton of major league stuff. And look, I can transform myself into like rooting for a top five pick because I love drafts, right? But like the games aren't, it's not fun watching like your team be terrible. But, you know, I've, I've often said like if you're going to be bad, try to turn it into a positive, trade what you can, use your your bonus pool space when it's available to you and dip into that for next year. One thing that we're going to be talking about that I, that I just want to mention briefly, like the way that the, the draft system is with the draft lottery that we've often talked about, right? like big market clubs cannot pick in the top six multiple years in a row. So the white Sox have an opportunity here. Like if you're going to be top your know, bottom five, bad, to like get into this top five for next year because there's no incentive to also be bad next year because you can't have multiple high picks in a row as a big market club. So dip down there, get a really good player and a bunch of bonus pool space, and then try to get like good again and win AL centrals. So, you know, it's something we'll see with the Washington nationals. They pick second this year. They're not allowed to pick till like 10th next year. Supposedly it's crazy. We'll talk about it as we move forward, but the white Sox could benefit from the rule this one time. Well, uh, look, 2024 could be an opportunity that we see guys that we've been covering for years 
play consistently at the big league level. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And yes, that, that's a great point and adds a little bit of perspective to you, the fan, uh, rooting for the White Sox to go for it, not, not strategically be bad, but to to go for it every single year. Because, you know, and realistically go for it. Don't pretend like you're going for it. So we'll see how everything transpires. Like I said, James does a wonderful job. Go to futuresocks.com, read all of our draft stuff, socksmachine.com, uh, recapping every pick, all of it. Jim was on it, day one two and three recaps we have our socks machine future socks draft tracker so you can get more information we'll update the signing bonuses once they become available all the information that you need is right there and of course hope you're subscribed to the future socks podcast and if you're not come back for more because we have a lot that we do we drop episodes every tuesday we also record the future socks roundup with elijah evans on saturdays uh break down performances across the affiliates we love to get feedback on that email us future socks at gmail.com with any questions also join us august 26th at Guaranteed Rate Field, go to our Twitter at Future Socks, purchase tickets, all you can eat patio section, and then you can hang out with us in Rate Field talking White Sox baseball. For James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. This is our draft recap of 2023. More information to come. This is the Future Socks Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.